0: W-M-Q-A! Hello and welcome to A, the official podcast of the W-M-Q Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week, we're talking with Erica Schultz, someone who has worn many hats in the comic book industry and who this very week has a story out in Marvel's Daredevil Annual Number 1, a flashback story in which a younger Daredevil meets a younger Misty Knight. Uh, she'll also be doing a signing for the book Wednesday at A&S Comics in Teaneck, New Jersey, and she'll be at Keystone Comic-Con coming up September 14th, through 16th in Philly. Uh, I'll be at that show too, so say hi! Uh, We talk about her Action Lab story that just wrapped, 12 Devils Dancing. Uh, We talk about the convention circuit and how a creator picks and chooses which shows to do. And we talk about Erica's experience not just as a writer, but as an artist, an animator, a letterer, and an editor. Uh, Meanwhile, what's going on over at wmqcomics.com? Well, we just had a very busy week going through November solicitations and there's lots to be excited about. Uh, Uncanny X-Men's coming back in a 10 issue weekly story co-written by Ed Brisson, Matt Rosenberg and Kelly Thompson. Uh, DC is relaunching Green Lantern with Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. Uh, Boom is bringing back Firefly. Archie's celebrating its 700th issue with a new creative team. Uh, Image is doing a benefit anthology with Alan Moore, Kieran Gillen, Tula Lote, Ted Brant, and a ton of other talented people and so much more. Uh, you can check out our top picks from each of these publishers and others at wmqcomics.com. And you could also check out our latest reviews of West Coast Avengers number one and the Batman and the Signal trade, a uh, bonus reading column on cable, and a preview of the end of Shattered Grid, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers event that's been going on since March. A uh, little confession, I know next to nothing about Power Rangers. Uh, it got big probably a little bit after the age, where I would have been into it, but it's clear from sharing our content on social media how much of a big deal they are for their fans, and I dig that enthusiasm. So keep your ears peeled because we are going to do a very special Power Rangers edition of wmq and very soon, and I'm gonna get myself an education. Uh, now here's me and Erica. So let's go back to you know the very beginning. Uh, how did? What are some of the first comics that you remember reading?
1: Um, I mostly remember reading. Uh, Basically, X-Men by Claremont and Byrne, or Claremont and uh, Jim Lee, uh, Batman and Spider-Man in the late 80s, early 90s. Because my older brother would bring home comics from the 7-Eleven or wherever, and uh, I'd peep those.
0: Awesome. Um,
1: Favorite X-Men story from that time? Well, I love Dark Phoenix Saga, because I love Phoenix. Sure. that's like actually pre that time Um, probably meet in Genesis if I'm going like in that like pure Claremont Lee timeline Mm
0: mm-hmm and that is about as pure Claremont Lee as it gets
1: yeah yeah (laughs) Um,
0: what do you what do you find yourself reading these days
1: I haven't been reading a lot these days and I'm ashamed to say so but it's more because I'm too busy writing Um, Mm -hmm. I finished up the second trade of uh Hawkeye Kate Bishop. Mm. Um I'm actually going through some stuff from four five one. I uh read Neverland and uh and stained. Those were really good. Um what else do I have? Uh Ms. Marvel mm-hmm. and Batman Beyond. I've been keeping with I've always loved Batman Beyond. Mm. Um Moon Knight and Daredevil.
0: Well, that, that comes in handy because you're writing the annual.
1: Yes. Well, I wrote the, I mean, I wrote the annual like three months ago. <laughs> but right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's
0: how these things work, but it's coming out on uh, August 29th.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Last, last week in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be doing a signing at ANS comics and Teaneck, um, that day, um, for the annual coming out. Okay.
0: Um, was that a sandbox that you'd been, uh, been looking to play
1: in? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I love superheroes. I mm-hmm. really want to write su- more superheroes. I was so excited when I got to write Hawkgirl for DC for, even though it was eight pages, I mean, I was so jazzed to write it. Um, so I'd been pitching a few superhero things to Marvel for a while now. And, um, None of them really it was sort of lining up with the timeline, but mm-hmm. they came to me and said, hey, we've got this gritty crime story that we want to do. Uh, it's Daredevil, but it mostly focuses on Misty. And you write a lot of crime drama, so you think you could do it. And I'm like, I would be happy to try. And <laughs> it was a really smooth process. Uh, Marcio Takara is a phenomenal, phenomenal artist. Um, mm-hmm. Our editor, Sarah Bunstadt, was really great. And uh, I was really excited to work on it. Every time I would get pages back from Marcio, it was just like giddy with delight. I really can't bl- can't wait until people actually see the book because it's, even if people think the story sucks, the art is fabulous. That's
0: fantastic. Uh, and before that, uh, a, w- a week before that, uh, this will actually, this will it will have come out by the time we record, but, uh, you've got a story, uh, in, uh, running through action labs, danger zone imprint, 12 devils dancing. Yes. Uh, uh, t- give us, uh, tell us a little bit about that.
1: 12 devils is basically about, um, an FBI agent who retired for medical reasons and, um, the serial killer from his past that is stalking him and torturing him until he dies. So, you know, light fare.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kid stuff. <laughs> um, the uh, the interesting thing about this story is it's being released, at, or one of the interesting things is it's being released in, in two, three chapter uh, blocks and, and Action Labs kind of marketing it, at each issue as three issues in one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was this, you know, how did this decision kind of come, come about versus sort of releasing it in the standard, like, you know, six, six, over like six months?
1: Um. Basically, when I was originally putting this out, I was with another publisher, Mm -hmm. and uh, that publisher, unfortunately, was having financial issues, so we left them, and I was going to publish it on my own like we did with M3, Mm -hmm. and so I put out the first issue at New York Comic Con last year, and Action Lab came, picked it up, loved it, and wanted to take it on. Action Lab's been doing a 30 to 32 page book every month, more of a more premium kind of um, piece. And mm-hmm. the book was already uh, the book was already pa- um, paced out for six 20 page issues. So we talked about how we would do that, uh, you know, with the way they've been putting out books. And they said, well, you know, we could do basically two 32 page issues and put three books in one and do that. Uh it's a higher price point. It's 5.99 rather than 3.99. But you are getting 64 pages of pure content. It's not like tons of ads or anything like that. It is f- right. a full 64 pages of content.
0: Um, does this kind of does this steer the book into like the trade bookstore store market faster from your perspective?
1: I really don't know. Um, it's still a floppy Mm-hmm. I mean it it is still a floppy. I mean when you pick up the book it is more substantial obviously than you know regular 22 24 page superhero book but um I think when you when you see the trade and it's 100 and you know 120 pages that's going to be the trade mm-hmm. versus you know two floppies. I do have to say though that the trade cover was done by Bill Sencavage and Ooh. it is so sick looking. It's so beautiful. I got it just before San Diego Mm -hmm. and I saw him at San Diego and I just gave him a huge hug and a kiss and I was like, this is fabulous. He's like, you like it? I was like, oh my God. Yes. I love it. I love it. You're amazing. I love it.
0: Um, How did, how did uh, Bill get involved with uh, covers?
1: Um, Bill actually did a cover for M3 back in 2010.
0: Uh So he's an old yeah. friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, Bill is Bill. I've actually known Bill for a couple of years now. Um, I was working at a studio in New York City for several years, and bill was um, was doing some inking work at this studio. Uh, he was still at his place, but he was, you know, inking with us. Mm -hmm. And so he would call and if I was the one who answered the phone, we'd always have these really pleasant conversations. And the conversations got longer and longer and longer as, you know, the years went by. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing M3, I had said, you know, would you mind if I sent you a script? Um, And he's like, yeah, that would be great. And he read it and he said, I love this. This is fabulous. This is terrific. I'm a huge fan of Vicente Alcazar's. And I, you know, if you need any advice or you want a cover or something, you let me know. I was like, you would do a cover? He says, absolutely. And he did the cover for issue number two. That's
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah. And so since then I've, I've sort of kept him on speed dial and, uh, And so when we talked about 12 Devils, uh, I originally was going to have him do a cover if, you know, we were putting it out ourselves as six issues. Um, But then Action Lab had this idea of doing it as the two larger issues. So I said, you know, would you like to do the trade? And he says, I'd love to. And he did fantastic cover, blew my mind. I sent the cover by email to um, I sorry, I texted it to Dave Acosta, the interior artist, Mm -hmm. and he's just like. I can't breathe. I was like, are you okay? He says, I can't breathe. Bill Sienkiewicz did a cover on a book that I did interiors for. And, you know, because I know Bill and we're very good friends, I said, ah, it's not a big deal. It's just Bill. <laughs> and he's like, you show off. Shut up. It's Bill <laughs> So, yeah, Bill's Bill is, aside from being probably one of the most talented living artists today, he is one of the most kindest, sweetest most wonderful people that I've ever met. He really is. And he's a genuine, genuine person. A lot of times you can meet people and, you know, they're kind of jerks because they're really like big. Sure. But Bill is the most down to earth, amazing, sweetest. I can't say enough about him. He's so wonderful and so talented, so sickly talented. Like it should be a sin to be as talented as he is.
0: And and, and as nice. I mean, that is, that is fantastic to hear. Yeah. Um, you were the editor on, uh, I think one of my favorite things that I read this year, uh, bingo love by uh, T Franklin and, uh, Jin St. Uh, how did you come to be involved in that project?
1: Um, I had, uh, met T along the, uh, the circuit, the comic circuit, sure. and when she, and when she was looking for an editor for this book, Um, she asked me if I would do the editing. So I edited the book. um, Originally, it was a Kickstarter and then image picked it up. And um, yeah, image picked it up after the Kickstarter, I think, had finished. And then image repackaged it with new covers and everything. And I believe they're doing um, I'm not involved in the project anymore. But I believe Mm -hmm. they're doing another edition coming out.
0: He has a bonus edition in the fall with like extra stories and what have you. Um,
1: yeah. When you, when
0: you got a hold of, of that script, was that, I mean, I know I, I teared up at the end of that, but.
1: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to see it. Um, it, it, the script wasn't completed when I received it. I got to see it sort of in, in chunks, almost in chapters. Mm-hmm. So as it was going through, but, um, it's, it's a very emotional story. It's, um. It's a very heartfelt story, and I'm, you know, I'm excited at the at all the success that it's that it's had.
0: Uh, for people who you know aren't familiar, Bingo Love is about uh, two women who kind of fall in love as teenagers in the 1960s, and then, you know, time because their parents don't approve, they're separated. Time passes; they both, you know, move on, have families of their own, but then reconnect in a bingo hall. In roughly 2015, and and you know, fall in love all over again. It's it's a beautiful story. Um, Touching on something, you know, you've mentioned uh, doing cons a couple of times. Uh, You know, you I I live just outside Atlantic City, so I I go to a lot of shows in New Jersey, Philadelphia, New York, etc. And I I feel like you are a a regular in the Artist Alley. Uh, You know. uh, a uh, kind of a veritable con monster. Uh, do you do you like you know being on the circuit and and, and doing the conventions?
1: Um, yes and no. Uh, I like doing the conventions in the sense that I get to meet new people and I also get to see people that I only see at conventions. You mm-hmm. know, um, like San Diego is a, is a difficult show to do. It's time consuming. It's expensive. Um, just doing the show itself, it's five days. You know, so with travel time and everything, you're literally losing an entire week.
0: Oh, sure.
1: Um, And a lot of that you can't really work through because there's just so much going on. But I do San Diego because I have a lot of friends on the West Coast that I barely ever get to see. And um, being out there makes it much more convenient to get together. So that's one of the main reasons why I do San Diego is because I have friends out there that I see once a year. And it's pretty much only San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't usually have a reason to go out that way. And they usually don't have a reason to come out this way. Um, so, so cons are fun in that sense. Um, at the same time though, they are exhausting because you have to be on all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of liken being in artist alley as being a fish at a pet store you know, people come by and sort of eye you and you're just like banging your head up against the glass, like, take me home, take me home, you know, kind of thing. Um, so it's it can be a little um, it can be a little tiring. It can be a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as a writer, constant to be a little more uh a little harder of a sell because as an artist you can sort of have a pad and just sell commissions whereas as, as a writer you're selling books so you're selling stories you're not selling a drawing of spider-man or batman or somebody's favorite character and i think that because cons have become more popular with the films and television shows becoming more popular people show up and aren't necessarily comic fans per you know per se but Mm -hmm. fans of the super pop culture things like Captain America, Batman, Superman so when they come to Artist Alley I think they're all they're expecting that everybody there is gonna have the X-Men and you know Hawkeye and Wolverine and all that stuff or Deadpool or whatever and when they see that you don't have that at your table a lot of times they just sort of brush you off like oh well You know, you don't have Captain America or you don't have Deadpool or whatever. So you're nobody. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of frustrating. Um, But it is what it is. I mean, certain people will learn. Certain people won't.
0: Um, You know, keeping that in mind when there are kind of some of these smaller shows coming up, do you ever kind of, you know, think of, you know, does it ever occur to you to kind of Maybe maybe I'll sit this one out, or you know, do you, do you see them as sort of a necessary evil of the, of the medium? Um, I think, and maybe evil's not the right word, but a necessity of the medium.
1: Well, I mean, there are a lot of shows that I've that I sit out um, mm-hmm. simply because I don't have the time to go to them, or I don't have the ability. Like I have deadlines and things like that. Um, the other thing is that a lot of shows are expensive to go to because you're some if you're not a guest of the show, a lot of times you are paying for hotel or transportation or even the table itself. Right. Um, so that can get it really expensive. And you know, I know people have this idea that comic book writers or comic book artists were all millionaires now because comic books are a big thing. I hate to break it to you. It's not the case. So, um, a lot of us have day jobs um, and those who don't have day jobs, uh, work, tons of freelance jobs you know to kind of make ends meet so you know dropping you know c2 here's here's a good example c2e2 Mm -hmm. um it's a great show i have never been to it but everyone i know tells me what a fabulous show it is Mm -hmm. i ran the numbers and to do to get a table at c2e2 and to do the um to do the hotel and the transportation and everything, it's going to cost over $2,000. So you have to weigh the cost and say, okay, well that's $2,000. Can I sell $2,000 worth of books?
0: Right.
1: Whereas an artist sometimes can be able to say, well, between prints and commissions, I can make that back. So it really is sort of a back and forth. Um, there, but there's a convention in Connecticut. Uh, it might be next. It's either this week or next week. There's a convention mm-hmm. in Connecticut, on. Yes. I'm sitting that one out. Um, I, unfortunately, I have to sit out Flamecon. I may be able to go for one day just to say hi to a bunch of people, but I'm going to basically be sitting out Flamecon. I'm not going to be tabling there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's plenty of there's plenty of shows I've been sitting out just because for the sake of, you know, it's also, you lose time working. I mean, some people can work on the road. Some people can't. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of in between there's plenty of stuff that I can do, but at the same time, if I'm driving out there, I mean, I'm not going to be able to be writing while I'm driving. So,
0: um, you are doing Keystone in September though in Philly, right?
1: Yes. I'm a guest at Keystone. Yeah. That's
0: good. Um, Kind of looking over your resume, you've worked in, in looks like pretty much every facet of the comics industry as a writer, an editor, a letterer, uh, as as an artist, uh, animator. Um, how how did you kind of go? What was your path to becoming sort of this well rounded uh, in the industry?
1: Well, when I worked in advertising, mm-hmm. I was an art director and a copywriter, and I did like junior producer, you know, kind of thing. So I tend to be a jack-of-all-trades, just in general. um, I have the firm belief that if you are in a field where there are multiple people uh, working together to make something, whether it's a commercial or a comic book or film or whatever, having at least a cursory knowledge of what everybody else does is super important. Um, I think that if writers knew more about what artists do, their scripts would be better. I feel if writers know more about what letterers do, their scripts will be better. I think that if artists knew more about what writers do and what letterers do, I mean, I think everybody needs just a little smidgen of, of information about how the other, you know, third or sixth of the team works. And um, I think it makes you better at whatever it is you're focusing on. Um, because I've done a little bit of everything, I feel as if I can say with professional authority, whether something's going to work or not, because I've dealt in all the different aspects of it. It gives me, I think a little bit of a leg up on, on some things just because I have experienced what it's like to ink a page, what it's like to pencil a background, what it's like to, you know, do digital whether I'm doing digital inks or hand inks, um, what it's like to format pages, to put things together. I've, I've done the whole thing. So, um, so I think that sort of informs me as a writer and, and helps me to be a better writer because I know what the artist is going to go through, what the letter is going to go through and such.
0: Um, When you first kind of started in uh, in the industry, you know, were you predominantly looking to write or were you looking to to kind of take on all those experiences?
1: Well, when I started, my first foray into comics was as um, I started as a uh, an animator for the Astonishing X Men motion comics. Mm -hmm. Well, correction, I started as a Photoshop artist first and then uh, I was taught animation on the job. And then once we were doing that, uh, the studio that I worked at was getting back into doing comic books. And so because I had a graphic design background and I could do Photoshop and digital art and um, I didn't ever position myself as an artist or as an illustrator. It was a skill that I had, but it's not something I would market myself as. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was sort of brought in to first start doing like digital touch ups and stuff, and then start doing more hand art work, um, mechanical work, uh, all that kind of stuff and because I had a graphic design background from uh, working in advertising, I sort of had i already had the skill set it was just a matter of sort of training those skills to go into comic book production and I knew the programs already. It was just a matter of knowing the programs for that. So for knowing illustrator, for lettering, knowing InDesign for comic production, knowing Photoshop for doing digital backgrounds and, um, and putting in, uh, uh, formatting pages and things like that. So it was just a matter of taking the skills that I already had and just sort of training them in another direction.
0: Okay. Um, under your, under your resume, uh, the phrase digital artist and ink assists for Neil Adams comes up a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of talked a little bit about kind of working with, with, uh, you know, motion comics and, and, uh, what have you, but I'm wondering, you know, how directly you got to work with, with Neil on those projects.
1: Well, I did the studio that I worked at in Mm -hmm. New York city was continuity studios. So I worked Mm -hmm. directly with Neil.
0: Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Um, And as someone who has lettered, uh, you know, are there certain letterers you prefer to work with because they kind of exhibit, you know, what you're looking for as far as, you know, uh, good lettering?
1: I try not to be critical of letterers. I I will privately be critical of letterers. I'll put it that way. Sure. Um, I I don't, I don't say anything publicly about, Oh, I think this person is better than that person. You know, this, that and the next thing. Um, there's been a lot of books that have had, you know, um, any Marvel book that I do, they don't let me letter my own stuff. So I mean, but I, I, are you active? Are you
0: actively volunteering to do so? (laughs) Or have you?
1: (laughs) Well, Uh, not, not, I had, when I did the revenge graphic novel back in 2014, I offered to letter it. Um, and they said, no, no, we got a guy. I'm like, all right. Um, (laughs) one of the, one of the advantages though to lettering my own scripts is that I can, um, I can change dialogue and I can fix dialogue on the fly. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you don't have that opportunity, you are then, it's, it's sort of an extra step. So if there's a script change that needs to be made, I have to email it to the editor, the editor will bless it. And then that has to get emailed to the letterer. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm lettering my own book, if there's a script change that I want to make, I email the editor real quick. They email me back with the blessing and then I make the change. Mm
0: -hmm. So time-wise it's a matter of minutes versus maybe a, you know, a day or so.
1: Yeah. I mean, it does, it does sort of cut things down at the same time. I want to focus on writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to be pigeonholed as a letterer. I want to focus on writing. And and for at least the past year, I've basically been doing just writing, um, with Xena and with Daredevil and with, um, and with 12 Devils. So, uh, but I've worked with a lot of very talented letters. Uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to have, um, uh, Josh Reed's at DC to have, uh, Clayton Cowles at Marvel mm-hmm. at Taylor Esposito, Cardinal Ray. Um, I've been fortunate to, to have Tom Napolitano worked on, um, on, uh, charmed. Mm-hmm. So,
0: you know, some of those characters that you mentioned, uh, Zena, you know, working on charmed, you know, you've worked with, uh, you know, quite a few licensed properties, uh, with these kinds of books, is there often, you know, an audition process or is it more sort of being in the right place at the right, to- right time?
1: Um, well, my relationship with Dynamite started actually back in 2015, and it was uh, an introduction by Gail Simone. Mm. She had uh, she had contacted me at I want to say Baltimore Comic Con, and uh, said, you know, I have this project. I think you'd be good for um, you know when the con is over and you know I get home and everything. Uh, I'm going to reach out, and she contacted me about this project for dynamite called swords of sorrow mm-hmm. and how the whole idea was basically just getting female artists, uh, female writers, excuse me, to write these all female characters. And, um, so she brought me on board to write the lady Zorro and, um, black sparrow one shot. Cause mm. it was three mini, it was four mini series. And then these one shots that all tied in, And then they put out this huge trade paperback that's like 21 issues. It's something, it's like 250 pages. It's huge. And, uh, and it's great. Um, so I, I got to work with a lot of fabulous people on that. And after I worked with dynamite on that, uh, I had already met the editors. I had, um, I had some contacts with them and I was then able to send them pitches. So I pitched them a few things. And then I ended up getting charmed that I did, uh, last year with Maria Sanopo, Mm -hmm. wonderful Italian artist. Um, and that was great. We had a lot of fun because she and I were both very big fans of the television series. Um, Zena, I actually, I never watched Zena. So, um, Meredith Finch, who's a friend of mine had contacted me and said, you know, my run is, I'm only going to be doing Zena for five issues. Um, so Dynamite contacted me and said, hey, we think you'd be great for this. So Meredith sent me all of her scripts so I could get – Meredith was a huge Xena fan, mm-hmm. a huge fan. So I knew that she had the voice of the characters perfect. So I read her scripts just to get the voice of the characters and then um, started with uh, issue six, which came out in June. And then issue seven came out um, – I think it was last week or the week before. mm mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, with a, with a, with a property like Xena that, you know, obviously the TV show ended, uh, quite some time ago, but it's still licensed. So there's, there's kind of more layers watching over things, you know, how, how much liberty do you kind of have with, uh, I guess an older property like that, that's been relatively dormant.
1: Um, pretty much, you know, you go out, I, my, my philosophy is go out as far as you can because they can always reel you back. True. So um, the process pretty much is here's a property that we're going to be doing comic books. Uh, Send us a couple of, you know, send us a couple of pitches and pitches are just really quick, like, you know, tiny, not tiny, but, you know, decent sized paragraphs of, you know, this is what's going to happen in a paragraph. You know, you send three or four of those um, over to the editor, the editor looks through them the editor usually blesses or doesn't bless something and if the editor likes something then it goes off to the licenser um and then the licenser will read them and come back and say i really like this one i really like this one and you know ta da this is what you're going to do and then it's your then it's your job to then take those you know really very vague ideas and really get down to the nitty-gritty and to the meat of them and to turn them into 357 issue story arc.
0: And um, you know, do you kind of do you see yourself on Xena for the foreseeable future or does your run kind of have a uh, a limited date as as Meredith's
1: did? Um, well they haven't fired me yet, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm Always a I'm good hoping. sign. <laughs> Always a good sign. Uh I'm hoping uh, the, the two books that are out so far, I've gotten, you know, very good reviews. Um, I'm hoping to do more. Uh, I have, uh, as of right now, I have two story arcs. I have a three issue and a two issue, uh, for this five issue run so far. Um, with luck, I'll be doing more. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's sometimes it's a decision based on the comic book publisher. Sometimes it's a decision based on the. Um, the licensor, uh, you know, and there are certain things that I'm completely not privy to, like the deal that the licensor makes with the publisher may only be for a certain amount of books. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's information that I don't have and that I'm not privy to. I'm just told by an editor, we want five issues. We want 12 issues. We want a hundred mm-hmm. issues, you know, and it, you know, and it's my job to just hopefully tell a, um, a story that people enjoy.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, you know, this podcast will probably open the next uh, week or so. September is right around the corner. You've mentioned Keystone Comic-Con, but are there any Mm -hmm. other, you know, projects or appearances, uh, you know, kind of post Labor Day that uh, you'd like to plug at this time?
1: Well, I have uh, a signing at A&S Comics in Teaneck Mm -hmm. for uh, the day that the Daredevil annual comes out. It is uh, 829. And the, Signings between 4 and 8 on that Wednesday. Uh, I will be at Keystone Comic Con, which is the 14th through the 16th in September in Philly. I'll be at New York Comic Con, which is October 4th through 8th, I think. Okay. Is, that, is that right? Uh, yes, it
0: is. Yeah.
1: Okay. Because I'm always – I'm like, it's I know it's the first week in, in October. Um, so, yeah. So I will be at New York Comic Con. I believe I'm at G22 in New York Comic Con. OK. And uh, and I think unless I'm invited to Rhode Island, which I don't think I am, I don't think I'm going to the Rhode Island show, which is in November, I believe.
0: New York's another was another one of those ones that I mean, it's within a drive, but it's yeah, it's a it's a weak claimer.
1: Yeah, uh, so it absolutely <laughs> is. And actually, the company that create that does New York Comic Con mm-hmm. did something last year. I don't know if they're doing it this year where they do this whole idea of um it's like pre-week things so the show starts on a thursday but they have like things going on during the week kind right. of like what they did with um super bowl a couple of years ago where they had like super bowl week
0: oh when it was like, a giant stadium
1: yeah so they yeah. did like all these things in new york and new jersey that were leading up to so i know that uh reed pop which does the new york comic con last year they had this whole thing where they had like panels and certain things that were leading up to New York Comic Con because I know my brother who went to the show last year had said, "Oh yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that went on, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday night." So, I don't know if they're going to do that again this year. I mean, I know Wednesday night I'm going to be sendi- setting up my table because Thursday first thing in the morning, it's like you got to get there, you got to sell start selling your books and, you know, put a smile on your face. So,
0: this is my. Uh, I'm going to New York this year, probably the, for the first time in like eight years. The Last time I went was 2010, and I just remember, like, that was the first year I started going to cons. So I had done Wizard World Philly, you know, which I had a great time at, and then I went to New York and just remember being like completely overwhelmed,
1: you know. I just, yeah, New York is is a tough show. It, it's it's not as crazy as San Diego, but it mm-hmm. is a very close second. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: Um, well, Erica, as we're wrapping up, how can people follow you online if you in fact wish to be followed?
1: <laughs> I don't think anybody should follow me. Uh, I'm a very bad example of a human being. Um, you can follow me on Twitter mostly. Um, I'm on Facebook a little bit. It's, I know it's associated with my website. So whenever I put a blog post, it goes up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but my website is Erica You can find me on Twitter at Erica Schultz 42. And uh, I'm on Instagram, but I literally only post photos of my cat. So if you like cat photos, it's Erica Schultz writes on Instagram. But it's 99.985% photos of my fat cat, Simon.
0: Yeah, but this is comics, Erica. There is a lot of intersection between comics and cats.
1: <laughs> I know, which is which is wonderful. And, and I, I love that very, very much. But uh, so, yeah, so basically... Cat photos are Erica Schultz writes on Instagram, snarkiness, comic stuff, and more cat photos are on Erica Schultz 42 and angry blog posts are on Erica Everything
0: in its proper place. Uh, Erica. Exactly.
1: A place for everything and everything in its place. That's
0: right. Uh, Erica, thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to wmq and on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support wmq and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. You can follow WMQ comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time.
1: W-N-Q-A.